This podcast is brought to you by BrunerAcademy.com, your online resource for the best public speaking, presentation, storytelling skills courses. Become a rock star communicator in any setting. Visit BrunerAcademy.com. Do you believe in magic? I know I sure do, especially after seeing my guest perform on America's Got Talent and getting all the way to the finals. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner. I'm Liz, and my guest today has an amazing story of triumph over tragedy, a man who's recreated his life from NFL player to world-class professional magician in the face of overwhelming odds. John Dorenbos, welcome to my podcast. Hey, this is Rockstar. Thank you for having me. You got the golden buzzer from guest judge Neo on AGT for your Magic Act audition, sending you into the finals. What was that moment like? You know, it's kind of like the story. I actually don't know if I've ever told this. So basically, I was, I was playing in the NFL at the time. In my own mind, that was kind of going to be the show that I was potentially going to opt out after because the lives and the competition was going to be filmed during training camp. Before I went on, I, they don't necessarily show it in order, but before I went on, there's this magician who, you know, he made these doves appear and then he like floated away and he turned into a bird. And I was like, babe, this is like, I got a notepad and a pen. This trick is, uh, what am I doing? Like that guy just literally floated and turned into a bird. Like, <laughs> what am I doing? Right. So I walk out there with the pad and, uh, you know, I just, my wife just looked at me and said, Hey, just be you. Sure enough. I got the gold buzzer. And if you ever watched the clip, I actually turn around and walk the back of the theater because in my mind, I was like, oh, my gosh, the Eagles don't even know I'm here. Uh, right. I'm now going to the lives. I'm going to be in training camp. I want this to air. So if I opt out, it'll never air. And then it never happened. Like, OK, let's just enjoy this moment and just we'll figure out the rest later. And so oh it was cool, man. It was really cool. And if I'm not mistaken, as you're as you're talking about that, you had kept your magic act pretty much a secret, at least from most of the NFL. Right. Uh, you know, what? The, the guys within it, they, they knew. OK. Uh, they, they knew I was a magician and, and really my, my core business is keynote speaking. And right. so I'm able to kind of get the creative and the magic side out and, you know, came up with this way of not kind of doing this uh, gratuitous trick, but to kind of relate messages through it within my act. And it's, yeah. it's been fun. And you went on from that, you placed third that season, and then you were invited back to the champion show. That had to be an amazing experience as well. Totally cool. So on America's Got Talent, if people don't remember, I was on the season with the 12-year-old with the ukulele. Yes. So I, I actually went, uh, yeah, I, I was the guy that came behind the 12-year-old with the ukulele. And then they, they brought me back for the champions, which was rock stars. So cool. Uh, I did not come behind a 12-year-old with the ukulele. I'm proud to say that I finished behind a 14-year-old with a puppet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, you know what struck me, John, when I watched that very first audition was not only how phenomenal your magic tricks are, but the positive energy that just radiated from you. And to hear you say that you were just going to enjoy that moment, and it certainly came through the television screen, I can tell you that. But I also know getting to this state in your life was not an easy road. When you were only 12 years old, you and your siblings suffered through a horrific tragedy. Tell us what happened. Yeah, you know, so I, I grew up just north of Seattle in a, in a town called Woodville, Washington. And, you know, my dad was my favorite person, you know, for, for reasons. And then my mom was my favorite person for other reasons. When I was 12, I was playing across the street and I came home to find out that my, my dad had murdered my mom. 
I, I can't even imagine the emotions that you went through. Here you're living this idyllic life. Dad just Little League. Your mom's always at the games. And yet everything is ripped apart in an instant. And essentially you were orphaned. And in your book, you even share some of the journals that you kept, the writings that you put in those journals about all these emotions. You know, I, I never opened those journals until the, the time came to write a book. And so, you know, people have been saying I should write a book for years and years. I just, you know, right time, right people, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the right team to make it happen. As my career in the, in the NFL kind of kept going, teams started to call from other cities. So, for instance, if we were playing Cincinnati, uh, the Bengals would call the Eagles and say, hey, you know, we know you guys get in Saturday. Hey, we know John only has a couple hours of free time, um, but we have kids here that, that experience something similar to John. Would he be willing to meet with them? And so here I am. I, I would go to away cities. Nothing made me more proud than to sit with these kids whose either mother killed the father, um, father killed the mother, most of them premeditated. Some of it was mother with boyfriend killing father. And I just felt like, man, if I was that age, I had somebody that went through this. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was meeting with any, if, with kids that were from 9 to 18, 19, 20 years old to be able to sit across from them, to be able to look at them and say, I might be the only person you'll ever meet that's literally been in your exact shoes. And, I, and I'm telling you this right now, I'm one of the happiest people I ever met. I know. So don't give up on life. <laughs> yeah. Don't blame yourself. Uh, really, for me too, don't be embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed about where you come from. Don't be embarrassed about what happened because life happens. And sometimes that's just the answer. That, that, that's just, that's all it is. Life happens. Don't be a victim. Don't make excuses. Don't be embarrassed. Just figure out how to get out of it, find happiness, and, and make the people proud that, that are helping you. Well, magic became your way of getting out of that, sort of your escape. And in your book, Life is Magic, My Inspiring Journey from Tragedy to Self-Discovery, you share that your passion for magic started with a neighborhood friend and the influence of magician David Copperfield. What was it about magic that connected with you so much? You know, so I was staying with a little league coach at the time and, and their friend across the street was a 16 year old magician and he did a trick and it was unbelievable. I didn't realize this till I was older, but it was probably the only time where I didn't think about anything else going on in my life. And so he taught me a trick and then obviously, you know, David Copperfield comes on TV and this magician's Bill Malone and uh, Ken <laughs> Sands and, and next thing you know, I'm watching it. And again, I didn't realize this till I was an adult, but when I sat at a table, the world disappeared. I wasn't thinking about losing both my parents. I wasn't thinking about, you know, the temporary foster home moving to California. I, I just, it was the only time where my mind and my soul was just a kid. And I actually discovered myself in those moments. Do you remember what your first trick was? I'm guessing it was a card trick, right? Do you remember what you did with it? There's like two first tricks. Because okay. it kind of happened simultaneously. Uh, I went to a magic shop with, with the kid, Michael Gross, and that baseball coach. And it was a killer trick. Uh, the guy showed me 10 cards, right? He showed me the backs. They were all red. And there was just 10 cards. He said, think of anyone you want. And I, th- and I thought of it. And, I, and it was a seven of diamonds. And when he turned it over, it was the only blue card in the stack. And I'm like, what? Okay, now, now visualize <laughs> this. He takes that same stack of cards that were all red back with one blue seven. And he said, think of a different one, three of clubs. And then he turned over the three of clubs. And that was red, but all the other cards had turned blue. Oh, my God. So it was a color change. He was two for two. And then he took a red sponge ball and he put it in my hand. He made one disappear. And then when I opened my hand, I had two. And so those were kind of the first two tricks that I was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. <laughs> I have uh, to learn how then, to do this. <laughs> oh, man. And, and you know what else it was is I became obsessed 
with the difficulty. I became obsessed with trying to master something and I became obsessed with not giving up. And little did I realize that those were lessons. These are life lessons, right? It doesn't matter how difficult something is, but if you just stick to it and you have patience and you allow yourself to just figure it out, it's amazing how your brain and your body and everything works. And the next thing you know, you're doing some of the hardest moves in magic live on TV and you're not even thinking twice about it. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. It is cool. That journey's cool. Well, magic not only helped deal with everything you were going through, but playing sports was also another escape. You lettered in football, basketball, baseball, hockey. I think I got them all. <laughs> and, and then you head off to college, eventually going to University of Texas in El Paso. And even though you had only played linebacker and fullback, the team wanted you to be a long snapper. Did you even know how to play that position when you were asked? Yeah, so it's funny. So my buddy Kevin Johansson in high school, I'd never played football. So my freshman year, he goes, yo, you should play football. And I'm like, no way, dude. Football's for dorks. I like magic. <laughs> I'll, I'll let that sink in there. <laughs> okay. And then, uh, you know, but, but here's what happened is I loved it. I'll never forget what he said. He goes, you can hit that guy and not get in trouble. Yeah. And I go, whoa. And think about this. I had a lot of things built up inside of me, right? Sure. So during the day, I could hit you and not get in trouble and get out aggression. <laughs> and then at night. I would light a candle, listen to Yanni track number nine, Felista on repeat, and I would just shuffle cards. And it was this perfect balance of aggression during the day and soul searching at night. And I didn't even realize it at the time, but it was the perfect compliment. Yeah. So, yeah, so I I was I was a long snapper my senior year in high school. I wouldn't say I was very good. And then I went to a junior college and I didn't do it. And then there was a need. There's a demand. Right. And when there's a need, there's an opportunity. Mm -hmm. I knew I could do it. I just didn't really have current film. And so uh, I kind of borrowed some film of a teammate and I, I threw it on my highlight tape. And I basically said that these people are all me. Cause look, this is before internet, before HD cameras, before all that. Right. So uh, I knew I could do it. I knew I could play and I sent it away and they were like, Holy cow, we need a long snapper. And I was kind of, uh, this was a long time ago. And I was kind of one of the first guys to get a full ride to be that position. Cause that position was kind of becoming its own. And my best friend was Paul Tessier. So we played high school together and he was there. And so I got to go play college ball with my best friend, and it was, it was the time of my life. Well, that led to a 14-year career in the NFL with four different teams, Tennessee Titans, Philadelphia Eagles, Buffalo Bills, and the New Orleans Saints. And you were even named a two-time pro bowler. And besides hitting people, what did you love about playing in the NFL? This is going to be kind of sappy, and, and I, I get choked up every time I say this because it, it's a humbling thing to say this, and it's probably the most proud thing that I'm proud of my career. When I was 12 years old, I was, I was a, well, when I was a kid, I was a huge Seattle Mariners fan. And we'd go to the games and I'd sit in the nosebleeds. And uh, when my dad went to prison, I lost my mom. You know, people in the community would donate tickets. And, you know, my sixth grade school teacher would take me to games. My foster parents would take me to games. And I would sit up in the nosebleeds. And it was when Ken Griffey Jr. and Jay Buhner were going to look up and, and, and be like, hey, John Dornboss, you made it. Come on down here and play catch with me, right? how they knew my name or how they were going to see me. I didn't know. But in that moment, it was, it was my day that they were going to call me on the field, which obviously never happened. Mm-hmm. And so I was asked this question when I retired, what do you miss most? I miss playing catch with my 12 year old self mm-hmm. and every game, every practice, every chance I had, I found a kid and I brought him on the field and I played catch with him. And I pretended that that kid was me. That right there. Um, I miss that. Sure. That's what I miss. And your pro football playing days were cut short when it was discovered that you had an aortic aneurysm and you needed immediate open heart surgery. And it wouldn't have been discovered had you not been traded to the Saints and not passed your health exam. How devastated were you at having to give up the game that you loved and and it filled so many needs for you? 
you know, I worked my whole life to get to where I was. And at the time I was one of the oldest guys on the team and I had been traded and look, the new Orleans saints, right. They're all black uniforms slimming for a pledgy 37 year old. Um, it was an indoor stadium, which was great. You know, now I was out of the Northeast in the weather and you know, in my, in my life, I talk about these things, right. And now life throws you these situations where you now have to kind of eat your own words and, and see if what you preach works. And I realized that whether you like it or not, life happens. And so the quicker you come to terms with your reality, the better. And look, I wanted to finish my career in Philadelphia. You know, I got the record for the most consecutive games played. I, I spent 11 and a half yeah. seasons there. The fans knew me. I thought I was going to retire there. But me being traded, I didn't have a choice. So guess what? You embrace it. You embrace the change. And then I realized that the story you tell yourself makes a huge difference. Sure. The narrative that we tell ourselves is either going to keep us in that rut or it's going to get us out. I was bitter. I was angry. And, and there's a few phrases that I live by, and it's, you know, don't listen to yourself, talk to yourself. So get rid of that bitterness and that anger, right? Because that's not how I wanted to go out. Right. And the narrative, basically, uh, when I first signed with the Eagles, there's a reporter named Gino Santa Liquido. And uh, he asked me, hey, your mom's best friend sang Wind Beneath My Wings at, at her funeral, huh? I said, yeah. Cool, man. Thanks. He goes, you don't get it. You're an Eagle now. You bounced around. I know your story, kid. And now life comes full circle. So when you're struggling, just open your wings let your mom take you and may the wind forever be beneath them. And I was like, whoa, was not expecting that at it's, all. It's such a beautiful song too. And you just, Man. you just talked about that quote, talk to yourself, don't listen to yeah. yourself. And I know that you use that, that message, that quote in a lot of your motivational speaking, because the fact of the matter is we all suffer, John, from self-doubt at times, and we all need to figure out how to silence that inner critic. So for you, when you're sharing your message with people about talk to yourself, don't listen to yourself, can you explain a little bit more about what you mean when you say that? Yeah. Well, here it is right here. So now I remember that, right? So now I'm in my locker. I put my helmet away for the last time. And uh, in the reflection of my helmet, Drew Brees walks by. And I see it. And I'm watching. I'm looking at my helmet with the locker room reflecting it like, like, like it's a movie. And there's nothing like an NFL locker room. It's just a fun place. It's uh, it, the highs and the lows, the camaraderie. And I looked at Drew's last name. And I realized that I can sit here and be bitter and angry about how my career is being lost or I can tell myself a story. So telling yourself the narrative, that's how you talk to yourself. And then that's when I remembered my, my, my man Joe Santa Liquido saying, you got the wind beneath your wings. And then I see a guy with the last name Breeze. And then I told my, I literally out loud, I said, I got it, Mom. You traded me to New Orleans to have my life saved by a saint. And all you're telling me is step out of the wind and catch a breeze. Thank you. And now when I change the narrative of what this means, then all of a sudden I realize, and I said this out loud, if I play, I die. If I'm done playing, I live. I, I think that's actually pretty, pretty good. Uh, I, I think we're in pretty good shape here. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter. Again, it doesn't matter whether you agree or not. It's your reality. The quicker you come to terms with your reality, the quicker you, you shut down the voice of self-doubt and realize it isn't life ganging up on me. It's not life just kicking me when I'm down. It's just life. So how do I get out of that rut? I start talking to myself. Then I change the story of what's happening and why. And the next thing you know, I'm so thankful that this happened. I'm so thankful that I got traded. I'm so thankful that my career's over, that you're not worried about all that other BS. Yeah. And it works, and it works for me. It works for a lot of people. And I'm, I know people are thrilled to hear that nugget of wisdom from you. You've appeared on Ellen DeGeneres' show multiple times, and she even created a game show for you to host called Let Me In So You Can Win. <laughs> that sounds like so much fun. Tell us about it. Well, first of all, she's, she's a rock star. She's been a rock star uh, to me and my family, and, and the opportunity that she's given me 
you know, when I first went on our show, I, I think I was a little bit different of a magician than, than they were expecting and used to. And so we got along. And so she said, Hey, how can I help? And she's like, I got this format. We've been trying it. And just, w- would you like to give it a shot? I, I said this, I go, Ellen, I'm going to tell you right now, if you call me and say, Hey, I have an idea. I'm just telling you the answer is yes. Like there's really no, <laughs> like if you think it's good, if it's good enough for you, it's good enough for me. So, um, she's been great and we did it. We show up at people's homes and we just give them a chance to win stuff, whether it's tens of thousands of dollars, a new car. Uh, and, and it's been a lot of fun. It sounds like it. What has this rise in, I'm going to call it generically speaking, celebrity status brought to your life? Opportunity, you know, opportunity to do what I love and a responsibility that I really cherish, you know, with leadership, with notoriety, with celebrity comes a great deal of responsibility and you can go either way with it and you're going to get people to listen to you. And so the things that you say make a difference. That right there, having influence, really having a, a, a really emotional understanding of who I am and how I want to make this world a better place for my daughter. I'm very happy to have a platform that I'm proud that at, at any of my shows, if you bring your 10, 11, 12, 13 year old kid, you know, my, my life shows is my life story and it's magic along the way and how it got me out of ruts and how I found happiness. I'm proud to stand on that stage and talk to my 12 year old self and make it cool, make being nice, cool, make learning, cool, make self-discovery cool, make emotion cool. And I bring swag to that. And, you know, they watch me because I was in the NFL or they watch me because I was on Ellen or America's Got Talent. So I've kind of got the whole family demographic and each one of them like my show for a different reason, but they leave hopefully feeling better about themselves than when they came. That right there is the coolest part of, of celebrity. Well, you just talked about your baby girl. I know you're married to the love of your life, Annalise, but what's it been like for you to be a dad? How has that changed you? Mm, I don't remember life before it, and I don't ever want to remember life before it. You know, when my dad went to prison, I kind of, I lost my dad. And as I got older, I started to realize the responsibility of a dad and what we missed out on, what could have been, what should have been, uh, teach me how to be a man, responsibility, and, and taking away my mom, right? Taking away that love and that passion that guidance. And so there's the choice, right? You either listen to yourself or you talk to yourself. And I think people go two different directions. They either become where they come from and they make an excuse to be a deadbeat dad. And the world will say, Hey, if you would have known where he came from, or if you would have known what his dad did, you'd understand. And if that's the life you want to live, that's your choice. Or you decide that I'm not going to live in circumstance. Rather, I'm going to rise and live in vision. And you know what? I'm going to be better. I don't care how good people have it. Every day, wake up and be better than what you were the day before. Be better than where you came from. And so I, I realized that me having a daughter, I can now be better for her than I had. I can now live this relationship, the what could have been, the what should have been. I can now live it through us two. And so my whole life has changed. And uh, being a dad, I'm going to tell you right now, is, and especially being a dad to a little girl, is the coolest, um, <laughs> most awesome, just it's, it's undescribable. It's, it's the greatest thing I've ever experienced in my life. I can hear such a joy in your voice. It's, it's wonderful. Awesome. It's wonderful. You brought up your dad, and I know a few weeks before your baby girl was born, you had what you call a full circle moment, and you actually reunited with your dad, I think, after 27 years, and you spoke about forgiveness with him, not for taking your mom away, but forgiving him for being lost. And forgiveness is such a huge element for each of us to find our own happiness, isn't it? I think that there's a lot of people that really struggle with forgiveness. And I think it's because of the way that 
they were taught what it is or the way that they define it and the way they associate the word with their life. And what I found is that there's a lot of people that think forgiveness is about winning and losing. It's about if I forgive you, we go on our merry way and okay, I throw up the white flag, all's good. You know, I'm okay with what you did and it is what it is. We'll just chalk it up. Right. And I think I realized in this moment that forgiveness is not that that's not what it means. Uh, in fact, forgiveness has nothing to do with my dad at all. Zero. And so if it's not about him, then how can it be about winning and losing? If it's not about him, then am I really waving a white flag? Like that doesn't make sense, right? So I realized it's it's about me. It's about me coming to terms with my reality. It's about me saying that you're, you're no longer in my life. So guess what? You're not going to affect any days of my life going forward. It's me just coming to peace with where I come from and what I want to be. And then the reason I went to go see him, see, I thought about seeing him for years and I was very curious but nothing in my life forced me to take action. And then when my wife was about to deliver at about eight months, that's when I realized that that was it. That was the moment. And I wanted to sit across from him. I wanted to feel everything all over again. I wanted to relive that, that part of my life, the pain, the hurt, the betrayal, the anger, um, the journey, the, the what could have been, should have been, all that. I wanted to relive it all. And you know what I found is that resilient people, they have a way to use emotion to their advantage, whether it's good or bad, right? They have a way to use emotion, not for vengeance and, and not for, uh, to, not bitterness, but rather use that emotion to find motivation in defeat. Now think about that. If we can find motivation in defeat, oh my gosh. I mean, it's, it's endless. And so I wanted to take all that emotion. I wanted to look at him and say, who are you? Like, who are you? And like, just who are you? And then that moment, those are the emotions that I wanted to feel so that I can make sure my daughter never feels that about me. She'll never look at me and say, who are you? And that's why I did it. And I love the, the sort of line that you have in the opening pages of the book about that she'll always be able to have mm. lunch with her daddy. That's going to tear me up because, uh, you know, as I, as I was growing up and in high school, my friends would say, hey, my, you know, my dad, and, and they were really close with their dads. Hey, we're going to meet for lunch. And I, I always wanted to meet him because I wanted to walk in and see a, a father-son just sitting there. And that was like my moment just to pretend that line of you'll always be able to have lunch with your daddy. It, it basically is saying I'm here no matter what. And it's, I'll always be here when you go out on your own and you, and you think you're alone and struggling, you can always call me for help or guidance. You can always, you know, laugh on my shoulder, cry on my shoulder. It's a statement to me saying, be everything that you didn't have and just be better. And so that's kind of a, a double meaning sentence. There's a meaning for her and then there's a meaning for me. And so my daughter will always be able to have lunch with her daddy. Well, your book, Life is Magic, is truly an extraordinary and empowering story of not only resilience, forgiveness, and living a life of purpose. What do you feel your purpose is, and how is that feeding your soul right now of living your best life? I mean, it's such a, a powerful thing for people to wake up every day and have purpose. And I think I have a lot of different purposes. I love performing. I love doing what I do. I love being different. I love being creative and artistic. I love being able to come from a story that is just, some people would say is so far out there and be able to relate it to everybody and hopefully make this world a better place. So, you know, professionally, I, I, I want to make this world a better place for my daughter. I want to make a difference. I want to inspire people just to be better and uh, be more creative and to be different. And I do that through magic. Personally, I, I love my wife. I love being a husband. I love being a dad. And, and it's, it's a balance right now. I'm not saying it's easy, <laughs> never but is. It's, it, you know, it's never easy. Right. But to, 
to live your best life is, is to, you know what it is? It's to wake up every day and to not listen to yourself and to talk to yourself and to tell yourself, you are going to do this today. You are going to live your best life today. And then every day, say it again and then say it again and then keep saying it until the day you die. And the next thing you know, when you're on your deathbed, may every one of us look back and say, holy moly, look what I did. You know what? I live my best life. But I truly believe it starts every morning by just simply waking up and just tell yourself, I'm going to make decisions today, better decisions than I did yesterday, and I'm going to live a better life. Well, I encourage everyone to get John's book, Life is Magic. And we have an easy link for you on our show notes. Just check it out. And I also want you to go to his website, johndorenboss.com. That's J-O-N-D-O-R-E-N-B-O-S.com. Book him for your next virtual, your next in-person event. I promise you, you're not going to be disappointed. <laughs> and John, I, I wanted to share a quote with you that I, I have shared with listeners before, but I feel it's so relevant to share it with everyone once again. And it's actually something my mom used to say all the time. The goal of living is to be able to absorb all of the pain of life and lose none of the joy. You have shown us that no matter what life may throw at us, we can absorb the pain of life and still find joy. And I'm so grateful and honored that you joined me today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And thanks to all of you for joining us. I hope John's story helps you remember that we can choose happiness in spite of. Until next time, be well. This podcast is brought to you in part by Fast Twitch Media, helping people tell their stories and giving them worldwide reach. The future is in the cloud and Fast Twitch Media can take you there. Be your best digital self. Check out fasttwitchmedia.space.